Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Breaking Down the Doors, where we speak all things Vanderbilt Athletics. Uh, I am your host, Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt Beat Reporter with the Tennessee, and I am solo today. Only one guy on the podcast, but we got two good topics. Vandy fans, are you ticked off a little bit right now? It's a rhetorical question, I know you are, uh, and I know a couple of the reasons that you are, and that's going to be uh, what we're going to talk about on this podcast. The three-point streak is dead. Vandy's three-point streak making a three-pointer for every game for 34 years, 1,080 games. That died Saturday night, and it's not coming back. And things got contentious a little bit, uh, at least on social media. In the post game, there were some comments that ticked off some fans that Jerry Stackhouse made. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the fact that Vanderbilt has now lost every quarterback that it had last year. Four quarterbacks on the roster, all four are gone. They have three new ones. People believe that some Vandy fans believe that's the beginning of the end or maybe the middle of the end. Uh, we're going to talk about that too. Let's talk about the three-point streak first, though. I think the way I want to approach this is just a few statements about this because I've seen some back and forth on social media this week. I've gotten a number of emails uh, people very angry about this topic and what went down the other night. Again, 34 years, 1,080 games. Vandy was one of three teams, one of three schools in men's basketball that had never gone a game without making at least one three-pointer. UNLV and Princeton were the other two. It's a point of pride for the program. It's gone now. They were 0 for 25 in the game the other night. Statement number one, it matters. That record mattered. I should say it that way, mattered in the past tense. It absolutely mattered. And I think that's a fan perspective, and that's a, that's a player perspective. I think probably more so with with alums, and I saw some of those react to it on social media. But it, it matters. You know, here, here's the fan perspective, I think. Programs are up and programs are down. And right now, Vandy's is down as low as it's ever been. But when you weather those storms and the program gets back on good footing, uh, you you want a record like the three-point streak to last. You know, I mean, Jerry Stackhouse may be a success. He may be a failure at Vandy. I don't know. But, you know, let's say he's gone three years from now for one of those two reasons— You would want the streak to outlast him. You would want the streak to outlast Bryce Drew and Kevin Stallings and so on. So for Vandy fans that are loyal and come to Memorial Gym and say, hey, I'm going to come here rain or shine, they want that that streak to continue because they're still going to be in those stands at Memorial Gym long after coaches and the current team and all those are gone. So I, I understand the frustration. This was a point of contention the other night on social media that, well, it just it's just a streak. It, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Nobody even knows about it except for Vandy fans. It, it, it matters. It absolutely does. Every game uh, when Vandy would make its first three-pointer and you would, hear, uh, you would hear it in the arena, you would also see it on social media and elsewhere, the streak continues. Well, it's not going to continue anymore. And, uh, and that's something that people thought would outlast any downturn in the program. Let, let me clear this up for, uh, again, this was something that was batted back and forth between Vandy fans. I saw on social media over the weekend. Okay, it mattered. Did it matter to other programs aside from Vandy? 
about a week ago, I was on Arkansas uh, radio station out in Arkansas. I do uh, radio spots for appearances for a lot of stations that cover the SEC. You know, whenever Vandy is going to play somebody football, basketball, I'll tend to be on uh, a radio station that covers the opponent. I was on Arkansas radio, and they brought up uh, three-point streaks. And they said, you know, Arkansas has made 1,100 1100 straight games or something like that. Vandy also has a streak, a thousand and something, and they both have three point streaks. And they didn't know that Vandy's was Arkansas's was longer because Arkansas had just played more games over that period of time. I guess they had an Ofer game maybe in the first season. The three point line was around, but uh, didn't have. Uh, but then it started their streak immediately after that and had more games between then and now than Vandy. So Vandy's was shorter, but they didn't know Vandy had had never had a game since the three-point line came into the NCAA when they did not make a three-pointer. And that's an SEC school. I think most reporters, most media members, most fans, most teams, and most coaches do not know or did not know that Vandy had that three-point streak. Uh, They didn't. So if it's a point of pride for you as a Vanderbilt fan, that I get it. I completely get it. Every program should have kind of their point of pride that distinguishes them from somebody else. But if you're in the argument that says it only mattered to us, it wasn't a big deal of other programs, that's also correct because most most schools and most teams did not know it outside of Vandy. So either side, your own of that, I, I understand, but uh, those are for completely different reasons. Another statement I'll make on this. Jerry Stackhouse does, in fact, respect Vanderbilt history. Now, this was a big one that came out of his uh, post-game comments uh, after the game the other night. Well, i tell you what, let's, let's, let's play those post-game comments that he said. After Vandy went 0-25, for 25, the three-point streak was broken in Saturday night's game. He jumped right into it and, uh, and was a little frustrated by how he thought his players were treated late in the game having not made a three-pointer. This is, uh, this is Vanderbilt basketball coach Jerry Stackhouse. From there, it just kind of spiraled down. For whatever reason, we, we, we stepped into our shots with, with a lack of confidence. Uh, and then it just, you could just sense the pressure um, from, you know, from the guys. Just every shot they took, you know, I mean, I think they're, especially once we got down to the, to the end of the game and um, hadn't, hadn't made a three, the um, fans were, you know, more concerned about the threes than, you know, than us really even getting baskets. I mean, guys were playing their ass off and try, trying to compete. Um, so, you know, but it's, it happens, man. Those guys felt, felt for those kids because they were out there playing and, and trying to compete, trying to do things the right way, and it just didn't, it just didn't work out for them. And we took 25 threes, and there's not too many chance, you know, what's the eyes. And, and the one that we did make, we get a shot clock violation on. So it just wasn't meant to be. Um, and now it's time to um, start the real streak that we want to end is uh, the, the losing streak. All right, and there was a follow-up question to Stackhouse after that. Here's a little more from him. Their head was down because, I mean, I think they heard the spattering of booze from, you know, from the fans that's supposed to be our home fans. I mean, we get enough of that on the road. So, but, again, it's, it's about fighting through it. I mean, having, you know, it's, it's adversity, but, you know, I, I don't see quit in our guys. So you heard him there, a, a spattering of booze that he called it, um, frustrated with fans that thought they should have treated his players better. I got a few emails over the weekend uh, contending that 
Those weren't boos. Those were guys saying, shoot, shoot the ball. It, it, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I, 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 think, I think I heard some people booing. I heard a lot of people say, shoot, shoot the ball. I heard a number of things. I heard people that were just frustrated. Whatever they are, they were jeers more than cheers. It was just frustrated, angry people, uh, people that were trying to get the players' attention, people that wondered. I even tweeted late in the game, do the players know that the three-point streak is on the line? Some of them said afterwards they did not till maybe like the last minute of the game. So fa- some fans were trying to help out. Some fans were frustrated um, by it. Uh, but Jerry Stackhouse, I think, was taking up for his players – Stackhouse is a longtime player, college, and obviously mostly NBA. I think he values defending his players more than he values pleasing fans. And that can work sometimes. It shows up as a negative more right now because they're in this horrendous losing streak. But my take on Jerry Stackhouse so far is that it's very important for him to have his players back. He, he he wants to please fans. He wants to put a good product out there. He wants fans to like him and like his program. But I think above that is he wants to have his players back. Now, the, the comeback to that easily is, well, we weren't booing players. We were booing the outcome, or we weren't booing at all. We were trying to tell them to shoot, and we were frustrated that they were passing up threes for twos. Uh, again, I don't know that that matters. I, I, I think there's a parallel in here with... Um, you know, sometimes when uh, when there's protest over wars, political protest over wars, people say support the troops but not support the war, so to speak. Um, I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. Fans are saying, I support the players, but I was not supporting the outcome. I was frustrated by uh, the fact that they were not being told to shoot three-pointers. Uh, I don't really think any Vandy fans were really angry at individual players. Uh, but when people are frustrated, that's, you know, that's kind of what, what comes out, and like I said at the beginning of the podcast, three-point streak matters, and that's why people were mad, and to some extent they should be mad. If it went to the direction of I'm mad at these players, that was probably a very, very small minority, but if it went in that direction, I, I, I can't go with you that far. It's one of those where players shoot, shot the ball 25 times, 25 threes. They were trying to make them. They didn't, but they were trying. I've got some background in a story on Tennessean.com about how this happened. How did Vandy end up with a roster of guys that are not good three-point shooters when traditionally Vandy has always had two, three, five, six really good three-point shooters? They don't have those on this team right now. Uh, so look at Tennessean.com. I've got a, I've got a story on the background of that. It goes back about three, four years, at least four recruiting classes, changes in coaching, changes in philosophy, obviously injuries. Aaron Neesmith was the best three-point shooter in the country before he got hurt. Um, So there's a lot of background and a lot of the perfect storm that goes into this. But what I said before, Jerry Stackhouse does respect history. I got a crazy uh, email among a handful of emails over the weekend about this point that somebody needs to tell Jerry Stackhouse to respect Vandy's history because it looked like he was was not to some people it looked like he did not respect the three point streak that he was you know trivializing it after the game again I don't think that was his take I think his take was I'm going to stick with my players we got a lot of games left and I'm not going to I'm not going to badmouth them here I'm going to I'm going to stick up for them and they just had a a pretty tough outcome against the rival Tennessee, but he does respect history. I, I had one email that said uh, 
Somebody needs to go tell Jerry Stackhouse who Perry Wallace is. Well, that's that's ridiculous. Perry Wallace was long before the the three point line. Jerry Stackhouse has tweeted about Vanderbilt basketball's history. He's mentioned it before in his introductory press conference when he got hired back in April. He talked about the history. He knows about Memorial Magic. He knew about the three point streak. Maybe it wasn't on his mind till the last few minutes of the game, but he knew about it. Uh, it's an outcome he didn't want, but that's that's what the outcome was. But he does respect Vanderbilt's history. The comments that he made after sounded like he didn't. And I, I don't know if he would take those back or not. Again, he's trying to take up for his players, but it certainly looked that way. I can assure fans he is not anti-Vanderbilt history. Bigger issue right now is the three-point streak, I think. Uh, this was, again, on Twitter after the game. Which is worse, the losing streak or the three-point streak? Right now, it's the three-point streak. Because that's something that goes back 34 years and people thought would go on for years and decades. But I say that's the bigger streak now. The bigger streak probably in about a week will be the losing streak. Because that's getting worse and worse and worse. And I don't, I don't know if it'll get better. It may get worse before it gets better. Vandy right now has a 22-game regular season SEC streak. 22 games is tied for the second longest in conference history. To find the longest, you've got to go back to 1938 to 1940, pre-World War II, when Sewanee, still a member, that was their, that was their last two and a half years in the SEC, Sewanee lost 24 in a row. So that means Vandy has got to beat either Alabama on Wednesday, South Carolina on Saturday to avoid tying the record, and if they do tie it, they, to avoid breaking the record, they would have to win at Rupp Arena in Kentucky next week. I don't like their chances there. I don't like their chances against Alabama or South Carolina either, but those, if they play their best, they're maybe winnable. Those are two middle-of-the-pack SEC teams right now. I don't think they're going to beat Kentucky and Rupp Arena. So, I don't, you know, how long does this losing streak go? Uh, if, it, if it goes beyond Alabama-South Carolina this week, um, I think your next best chance is probably in about a month. Uh, in a month, they have a three-game stretch where they have Georgia, Ole Miss, Missouri. Those are the three bottom teams in the SEC aside from Vanderbilt. Georgia, Ole Miss, Missouri. Those are all three in a row in, I think, late February. Uh, if it stretches that long, I don't know, that's that's maybe close to 30, 30 games, 30-game 30 losing streak. So I don't know if the number even matters then, but you want to avoid another offer. Last year, 0 for 18 in the SEC, really 0 for 19 because they lost the SEC tournament game. By the way, if people don't remember, that SEC tournament game to lost to Texas A&M, Brastrew's last game, the three-point streak almost died then. It got quite a ways into the second half until Vandy uh, made a three-pointer. They ended up making three of 24, I believe. And uh, so it almost died then. But anyway, I regress. Uh you know, the longer this losing streak goes, and I'm, I'm sure we'll address this in a future podcast, the more the narrative is going to be or the question is going to be, was Bryce Drew a worse coach than Jerry Stackhouse for Vandy? When Bryce Drew was fired, there was a contingent that said, you got to get rid of the guy. He lost 20 games in a row overall. And then there was, there's was there been a contingent at least the last couple of weeks that have said, well, was Bryce Drew really that bad? Because Jerry Stackhouse looks like he's getting basically the same results. 
And Vandy, since Aaron Neesmith went down, is averaging 50 points a game. You know, I don't know that that's that's not better than what Bryce Drew's worst was. Um, so we'll see how that how that hashes out. I, I did think before Aaron Neesmith's injury that Vanderbilt looked like they were more put together, more on a path to get some wins in the SEC than they were last year. Uh, with Neesmith out, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if they're going to win any or not. I still think maybe they'll pull out one or two. I thought before Neesmith's injury, they're probably going to go about 4-14 four and 14 maybe, probably win about four conference games. Now I don't know. Maybe they go over again. You would think they would steal one or two, but I made the same statement probably on the same podcast a year ago, where if Bryce Drew had won one or two, then he would have kept his job. He didn't, and sometimes bad things get worse and worse and worse the longer they go. Uh, we'll see if Vandy can stop this losing streak. If not, on future podcasts, we're going to be talking about, you know, why, why can't Jerry Stackhouse fix this when Bryce Drew couldn't either? And we're probably going to have to compare, you know, a Darius Garland-ish or less team versus an Aaron Neesmith-less team because they're, they're kind of in similar situations right now. On to football. Fans are, I don't even know if they're frustrated. They're frustrated with Jerry Stackhouse's team right now. I don't even know if they're frustrated with football. Fans are more indifferent, I think, to the football program than frustrated. They're disillusioned, which I think is worse than angry. Uh, If you're angry, you still care quite a bit. I, I run into a number of football fans right now that are just kind of put out with the program and not, they're not even angry anymore. They're just kind of, you know, waiting it out, hoping it gets better at some point, but they're not going to pay much attention to it. Of course, when, when September rolls around, I think some of those fans tend to jump back on the bandwagon. But the reason that some fans are disillusioned more now than they were maybe a couple of weeks ago is the mass exodus of the quarterbacks. Vandy had four quarterbacks last year, three that started, four that played. They're all gone now, every single one of them. Riley Neal is gone because he only had one year of eligibility. He was got started 10 of 12 games, so he was the primary starter. Mo Hassan started one game, got a win, was put out for the for the season by concussion. He's entered, entered the transfer portal. Deuce Wallace in the last week has entered the transfer portal. He started one game this past year. And Alan Walters, who got some mop-up duty as a redshirt freshman last season he also entered the transfer portal at least it was reported the day after deuce wallace so four played last year and four are gone and that means there are three new quarterbacks in vandy will have a new quarterback this year Uh, we know that because there's no old ones left jeremy musa is the uh, junior college transfer he has an injury coming in but he he hopes to be out there at full strength by the end of spring practice we don't have a date on spring practice yet, but I, I would tend to think it'd be later than sooner for that reason. Ken Seals is a uh, is one of their better signees, uh, spread quarterback. Guy mostly throws the ball. He can run it a little bit, though. He's out of Texas, three-star prospect. Mike Wright is the other. He's more of a dual-threat guy, a three-star quarterback. So that's two freshmen, one junior college transfer. And it's going to be one of those guys, maybe two of those guys, maybe three of those guys. The positive spin on this, and I did see this from a few, a few fans in emails, uh, one-on-one conversations, and, and also on social media, that this is better for the program. 
nothing went right with the quarterbacks last year. Nothing went right with the offense. So, hey, clean slate. This is good for the program because you start all over. You don't have the pressures of that previous quarterback controversy that kind of loomed over the program all of last year. So clean slate, everybody starts off on the same foot, and you can kind of get some new blood in there. The negative spin on this is that can Derek Mason or can you trust Derek Mason or this coaching staff or whoever's around this program to pick a quarterback and to go with the right quarterback? had a story in the Tennessean a couple days ago looking back at the quarterbacks that Derek Mason has brought into this program. He's brought nine in. Um, seven of the nine left Vanderbilt with eligibility remaining, uh, Most, mo- for the most part, transfers. The only two that finished out their eligibility, one is Riley Neal. He was only here for one season, graduate transfer, and the other one is Kyle Shermer. So as I wrote in that story, Derek Mason has a home run, a grand slam uh, with one quarterback and a whole lot of strikeouts with the others and not much in between. I guess Riley Neal would be the in-between. He was serviceable last year, but not, not, not terribly good. But Kyle Shermer was as good of a quarterback as you're going to find in this program's history. Most of the rest that has been brought in by Derek Mason, I'm not saying they were bad players. They may have just been poorly developed not put on the field at the right time. I think there's probably some guys in there that would have benefited from a red shirt. Wade Freebeck jumps out to me immediately in that list. So regardless of the reasons why these quarterbacks didn't work out, can you trust Derek Mason and his staff to pick the right quarterback when that hasn't happened with a lot of other guys outside of Kyle Shermer? Again, Kyle Shermer is a great one, but I don't think you can lean on that forever to say you know how to, how to pick a quarterback the sense that the sense that i get if you want to be critical is that that vanderbilt does not know who does not have a direction with its quarterback that's that's the 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 concern that i would have if i was a vanderbilt fan that it is a hey here's three guys and one of them will work out Right? The probability is if you have three quarterbacks, different skill sets, different ages, different experience, one of them is bound to hit. That's not the way that you pick a quarterback. Maybe that's not the case, but but consider this. Uh, Todd Fitch is the new offensive coordinator. Now, Derek Mason said he had him picked out for quite a while back, but these quarterbacks were brought on board and were recruited before Todd Fitch was here. So it's not like Vandy picked quarterbacks to fit Todd Fitch, their new offensive coordinator. It's not like they picked quarterbacks to fit a certain system. They recruited the quarterbacks they thought they could get, and maybe one, two, or all three of these guys are going to be good. But but to me, my concern would be they don't really have a direction. They don't have a guy that they feel like for sure is going to be the guy. They're just playing the odds. And you had that sense in 2014. Those were quarterbacks that Derek Mason mostly inherited. You had a little bit of that sense in 2015. You had that sense last season that there wasn't a, this is the guy. It was, there's bound to be a guy in this bunch. And that's more of the sense that I get with this one. Sometimes that works out. If there was a better track record of quarterbacks, I think over the past uh, six years, six, seven years, I think you could feel better about that. Um, but, you know, you just have to look at the track record, and 
I would not feel terribly good about that. Now, we'll say, even though this happened in reverse order, Todd Fitch is probably a good offensive coordinator to inherit quarterbacks that he did not pick. Because Todd Fitch, in his career, has been known as a guy that um, will adjust his offense pretty well to talent. And he's been in a number of places, and he's done that at, at every one of them. He's been with Skip Holtz for, I don't know, 20 years. And he's had different types of quarterbacks, different type of offense, and he's been able to adjust pretty well. And if you heard the podcast from a couple weeks ago, he talked a little bit about that, about being able to see skill sets of guys and tweak the offense and tweak it to what type of quarterback he has. Jeremy Musa, the junior college guy, is a guy that's got a pretty good arm, at least advertised a pretty good arm, can throw it, can throw the ball downfield pretty well. Ken Seals is a guy that may fit what Todd Fitch has done in the past a little more than the others. Ken Seals is a spread guy. They want the ball out of the hands of the quarterback quickly. They want to spread it around. I think they're going to go a little more three wide, four wide. Ken Seals probably in the long run fits that better. But Mike Wright is a guy that can run the ball, the other freshman. Um, and, you know, some, sometimes a guy that can run it is uh, – is a better is is a short term solution. Maybe the guy that can throw it is a long term solution. We'll see which one of these guys work out. But again, I, my concern would be uh, they don't know. They're just going to cross their fingers and say we got three new quarterbacks, three different skill sets. Maybe one of them will work out. My sense is that they're looking for a hot hitter and they don't really know which hitter that's going to be. But other schools do that. Other teams do that, uh, and it works out fine. I remember when Steve Spurrier used to have his. Uh, Back in the, uh, I think it was the mid-90s, when he would swap out quarterbacks every down or every series of downs until he figured out who worked, and then he went with that guy. But that Steve Spurrier had a pretty good track record with quarterbacks. This program, aside from Kyle Shermer, does not, and that's, that's just the facts of it. So we'll see. One way or another, they will have a new quarterback. Should make a spring practice very, very interesting for that reason. And, and a lot of reasons. I will say, talking to Derek Mason, he is pretty enthusiastic. He's pretty positive, and it is sincere. I talked to him in his office the other day about some changes to the staff, changes to the team, and he's upbeat. And one thing you can say about Derek Mason is he does not get down. He doesn't for long, and uh, he feels like his defense, I think, is going to be pretty good. He feels like they're, they're headed in the right direction schematically. He's felt that before and been wrong. He's felt that before and been right. Um, he's got to be right this year because this team cannot finish 3-9 and nine again and have any, uh, any hope of turning things around. You don't have back-to-back bad seasons like that and be optimistic the next season. By the way, that's the same scenario going on with basketball right now. Another reason why Jerry Stackhouse needs to show uh, some positive signs, um, i.e. ending the losing streak before this season is over. He's still got a little bit of time, though. So that does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcast. And drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. We like five-star ratings. I am Adam Sparks, Vanderbilt Beat Reporter for the Tennessean, and we will see you next time.